I want to talk to you today, this last Sunday of Advent, this Christmas Eve Sunday, the fourth Sunday of Advent, and Christmas Eve fall on the same day this year. But I want to talk to you, I want to honor the, the season, I want to talk to you today about Advent. This uh, readings today are about building a house for God, and who actually builds the house for God, and what is it made out of? Uh, the image that goes with today's sermon that I have on the uh, blog, on the Substack, is a picture of three young girls who are standing in the cathedral in Providence, Rhode Island, the Roman Catholic Cathedral in Providence, Rhode Island, looking at a statue of Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is to be supposedly a representation, a miraculous image uh, of the Virgin Mary. And they're clearly standing in a house of God, a house dedicated to God, a great cathedral. Uh, and they're doing, they're performing something religious, clearly, whatever you make of it, uh, whatever your opinions are of images and Mary, this is a religious act. I also, I guess I'm on this topic because the other day I visited a Roman, local Roman Catholic church and I saw a wall of flowers that were uh, dedicated to an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And this, this had been on my mind because I noticed that the local Episcopal church had also commemorated her feast day on December 12th. And, and, uh, and I suppose that's probably an effort to make the local Episcopal church more attractive to the, the Mexican immigrants that are in our area. The feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe is, after all, uniquely Mexican. But this concerns me for two reasons. First is it seems to be an attempt at sheep stealing from another Christian flock, which, I mean, if we're going to do that, if we're going to steal from anyone, let's make sure we are stealing them to a lively, uh, biblical, born-again, reformed, Protestant uh, version of the faith and not to an appropriation, frankly, of something that they already have. Um, second, this form of Mariolatry is completely foreign to Anglicanism and the Reformed Protestant tradition. Indeed, it, it was rejected at the time of the English Reformation. And it was rejected for good reason, uh, a reason that is at the very heart of the readings today and for the fourth Sunday of Advent. Today's reading from Second Samuel speaks to King David's desire to build a house for God, a permanent structure, a temple fitting for the Lord. David says, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Remarkably, God rejects David off, David's offer. In all the time since the Exodus that God has dwelt with his people, he has dwelled in a tent. Never once did God ask his people to build him a house. Speaking to Nathan, his prophet, who acts as a kind of chaplain to the king, God says, I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with the people of Israel, did I speak a word of any, to, with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? So the answer is no. God does not want David to build him a house. And if you think back to the image that I opened this sermon with of a large Gothic cathedral, what is that? But there's a twist. God ends his word to Nathan by reversing David's prayer, saying, The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. David proposes to build God a house and is told instead that God will build David a house. Now, David already had built himself a house, a lovely palace made of cedar. Clearly, God is speaking of more than building another domicile for David. 
This promise sets up the entire Christian story. The promise, this promise is made explicit in three verses that come after verse 11, which ends today's reading. So I'm going to read those verses to you now. God continues his message to David through Nathan, his prophet, saying, When your days are fulfilled, he's, Nathan is speaking God's word to David here, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. This is an explicit prophecy about Jesus Christ, so let's take a closer look at it. First, the Messiah, or Christ, is the physical offspring of David. Who shall come forth from your body, God says to David. Flesh and blood matter in the kingdom of God. The goal of the Christian religion is not to become, quote, spiritual, in some incorporeal sense that eschews normal human behaviors like marriage and family formation. In fact, family formation is front and center in God's plan of salvation. The eternal kingdom is rooted in a relationship between a father and a son. God says, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Second, this son will build a house for God's name. David's son Solomon did, in fact, build a house for God. He built a temple which was later destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And the temple was rebuilt a generation later, and by Jesus' time, it it had been lavishly expanded into a mighty stone edifice, and housed on its grounds, among other things, was a Roman garrison. But in Nathan's prophecy of the coming Christ, nothing is said about building a temple, either of cedar or stone, or anything earthly. Third, the family relationship that I described earlier establishes the divinity of the coming Messiah. People will argue that believing that Jesus is both fully human and fully God is incompatible with a strict Jewish monotheism. Well, the divinity of Christ may be incompatible with a strict Jewish monotheism, but that does not stop the Old Testament from asserting it is true. It is a simple fact that the offspring is of the same kind as the father. A man may love his dog, but he will never call his dog my son. The mistake David made is the same one I think the church often makes. It's a mistake that misses the point God is trying to make. Let's read again the first part of David's and Nathan's discernment about temple building. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Nathan understands what David intends to do, even though the Bible does not record David explicitly saying what he plans to do. And Nathan gives it his blessing. So their first initial discernment is, Go ahead and let's do this. This is a good idea. Perhaps this is because David hasn't really thought it through. Later on, after the temple is built, Solomon dedicates the temple with these words. He says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. Now Solomon, being wiser than his father, understood what God made clear to Nathan that same night after David had made his heart's desire known. Likewise, our desire may be to make our church appeal to new and different people, people who are not like us, people from a different culture. And our desire may be to show our love in tangible ways through the offering of flowers to what purports to be an image of the mother of our Lord. 
But is this the point? Is building a house for God made of cedar or painting pictures and erecting statues and going through all sorts of public displays of devotion, is this the point? I say it's not the point. Temples, churches, statues, and images are never the point. They are not even good reminders of the point. The whole point of Advent and of the Christmas season to which we are about to turn is that God has declared that he will make us a house. He will make us a house, not the other way around. Are you still thinking that means a structure of wood, brick, or stone? Peter calls his fellow believers, the members of the church, he calls them living stones. He writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Like living stones, be yourselves built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Paul calls this, in today's reading from Romans, the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret for long ages. There's an old word play, a little word game you can play with children that goes like this. How do you spell church? Ask a child, how do you spell church? And they'll probably say C-H-U-R-C-H. But here's the twist. You try it a different way. You show it to them. You say C-H, the first two letters, and then you take your fingers and you point to the child and you say you are, while you're pointing your fingers at them. C-H. So C-H, you are C-H. You are the church, right? Do you get it? We are all the church, the house that God is building. Mary's is the womb, the tent of human flesh that God dwelt in for nine months. And if that's not enough reason to honor her without all sorts of other pictures and images and statues and stories, think about that for a moment. Think about what happened during those nine months and draw the implications from that about the sanctity of life and the honor of motherhood. Jesus is the son of David who calls God his father. God, called, God calls Jesus his own son, the son in whom he is well pleased. And the church is Christ's body, which in a mysterious way is the very same body which Jesus, of which Jesus said in John, in the gospel of John, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it in three days but he spoke of the temple of his body. I suppose a certain amount of signs and symbols and temple building are necessary. Words, after all, are nothing more than vocal signs, and letters are the written symbols of their sounds. Churches, architecture, and liturgy are full of signs and symbols. They are a kind of language. But let us not confuse them for ends in themselves. That is the first and easiest mistake to make in religion. Advent points us to Christ and Christ points us to the Father. We travel that way by faith, knowing by that faith that the signs that lead us there are true. Paul calls this the obedience of faith. Mary modeled this obedience, not so that we would honor her in years to come with lifeless statues painted images and dead roses, but by coming to know and love her son, so that we too can say to God, be it unto us according to your word. Amen. And now we turn to our questions for reflection and discussion. What was rejected at the time 
of the English Reformation? And the answer is Mariolatry, the worship of or the veneration of icons and statues and images. Question number two, King David desired to build a what for God? King David desired, desired to build a house, a house made of cedar for God. Question number three, up until this time, God had always dwelt in a what? From the time of the Exodus to the time of King David, God had always dwelt in a tent. Question number four, God's promise to build David a house foretells the coming of who? The answer is the Christ or the Messiah. Both words mean the same thing. Question number five, the Messiah or Christ is the physical what of David? Jesus is the physical offspring of David. The Messiah or Christ must be physically related to King David. Question, question number six, the eternal kingdom is rooted in a relationship between a what and his what? The eternal kingdom is rooted in a relationship between a father and his son. The kingdom is prepared by the father and given as an inheritance to his son. Question number seven, what son of David initially fulfilled the prophecy and built a temple? And the answer is King Solomon. Question number eight, explain why Nathan's prophecy supports the divinity of Jesus Christ. And the answer is the offspring, God the Son, is of the same kind as his father, God the Father. Question number uh, nine, explain what David hadn't thought through in his desire to build a house for God? And the answer is, he hadn't thought through the fact that an earthly home cannot house God. Question number 10, Peter calls the members of the church this. Peter calls them living stones. Question number 11, explain why signs, symbols, and even the church and even church architecture are necessary to true religion. And the answer that is they are a kind of language that is used to communicate the gospel. Question number 12, explain the first and easiest mistake to make in religion. And the answer is making the signs and symbols of our faith, the language of our faith, ends in and of themselves. Parents and grandparents, you are responsible to apply God's word to your children's lives. Here is some help. Young children, draw a picture about something you hear during the summer sermon. Explain your pictures to your parents or to the minister. Older children, do one or both of the following. Count how many times the word house is mentioned. Discuss with your parents what it takes to make sure you have a home to live in and a roof over your head. Part of understanding, I think, what David was trying to do, his gesture is to understand that he had come into the fullness of his riches as king, and he knew how much it took to build and make a kingdom, and he wanted to give God something in kind. But God is the king of the universe and has all of these things already. Nevertheless, it's difficult for you and me simply to get the basics, simply to have a roof over our head. Well, that's the sermon for this fourth Sunday of Advent, which is also on Christmas Eve day. So I wish you all a holy end to this season and a blessed and merry Christmas. God willing, I'll be with you soon in the new year.